Well, good morning. It is uh, great to see you guys. Um, all right, so today we continue on with Abraham. We started with Abraham last week, um, and we're going to uh, get into more of more verses. Uh, Hebrews 11 gives some, a lot of time to Abraham, so we're going to get some more time to Abraham and his family. Um, so you can follow along if you're in Hebrews 11. Uh, one of the beauties uh, of being a part of a church with such a diverse range of ages uh, is that any given week, someone in the church uh, is either welcoming a grandbaby or fostering a new child, announcing a pregnancy, or even having a baby. Um, and so as church staff, we try to keep track of these things um, so that we know, and Jen Harkless and our meals folks and, and our mercy deacons, man, they do a great job at helping uh, when these new little ones come along, um, bringing meals. And, and, but it seems like every staff meeting almost, or at least every other week, someone says, I know someone who's pregnant. And uh, which means we get to celebrate. Like, it's like, oh yeah, that person's pregnant. Or sometimes it means it's a secret. And it's like, I know someone who's pregnant, but I can't tell. Um, and so then that just means that we all get to guess and we get to like try to judge by their face whether or not we're getting it right. Um, and they're, you know, very, well, I'm gonna keep it a secret. I'm not gonna tell. Um, so we're like, is it the Eads? Because that, that's a be, be a successful guess. Uh, it's been a successful guess before. Uh, is it, I mean, we got several families who are like, they're, they're, they've been having babies a lot lately. It could be them, could be them again. Um, and inevitably, almost every time uh, somebody tosses out the guess, is it the pets? And, and uh, if, which would be awesome. Uh, if you don't know, Pastor Barry and Carolyn, they've left that part of their life behind. Um, but uh, hey, a lot of people have babies at their age, especially in the Bible. Um, and, uh, but, but when older people have a baby, I mean, we call it a surprise, right? Um, but when really old people have a baby in the scriptures, it's a miracle. It's the hand of God. So today, a new baby gets added to the mix, and we're going to see a few things about how unpredictable and impossible uh, the walk of faith really is. And so as we look at Abraham and Sarah, I want us to see four things. Uh, number one, faith is funny. Uh, number two, faith is in a promise. Number three, faith is impossible. And number four, faith tells the best story. Let me pray for us. Father, as we do each week, we, we need your grace. Moment to moment, day to day, week to week. God, when we gather, um, when we're at home alone, we constantly are in need of you to draw us back to the truth of who you are, to all that's been done for us in Christ. Father, would you help us now as we look at the scriptures? Would, would, um, would we lay our lives before your word and would we... Uh, by your spirit, would you convict us of sin? Would you draw us to uh, Jesus? Um, and would you bring out in us worship and praise of our good Father? And we love you. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so number one, faith is funny. Uh, now, rewinding back just a little bit to last week, uh, where did we find our, where, where did we leave off with our heroes, right? So our faith heroes, uh, trusting God, uh, rejoicing that even though the promised land never really delivered, that even though Hebrews says that they died in faith, um, still as tent dwellers, not having received the promise, uh, but looking to their heavenly homeland. Their faith in eternity is what has sustained them. And so now look at verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring. 
Surprise, right? Uh, there, were, there were three parts to the promise that God had given to Abraham and Sarah. Um, we call it the, the Abrahamic covenant. And, and though they, they didn't leave, live to see the fulfillment of the promised land, uh, they got just a glimpse of it. They saw it from a distance. Um, the other part of the promise is God said, I'll give you children. I'm gonna make your family into a nation. And then lastly, he said, I'm gonna bless all the peoples through you. I'm, I'm, through, I'm gonna bless the earth. Okay, so, so it's happening, right? They're, they're getting children, offspring. <clears throat> Verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself. Now, a lot of people read this and go, okay, now by faith, Sarah. Was, was Sarah faithful? Like, is Sarah an example of faith? What is she, does she belong here? Some, some scholars actually would say, this is still really about Abraham, um, but we're, it's pointing out Sarah. She's mentioned, but it's really going back to Abraham. Um, our translation here that we read this morning in the CSB says, by faith, even Sarah herself. It almost sounds condescending, like even Sarah. Uh, can you believe it? Sarah. Um, but really, it just, this really is just saying, by faith, even with all that Sarah had against her. She's an old lady. She's been barren all her life. Still, she trusted I mean, and, and really, in, in the whole process, right? Who's exercising more faith, right? You got two old people uh, trying to have a baby. There's a lot of, there is a lot of faith, uh, but God's got to do the work. Uh, still, the questions about Sarah are there. Certainly, we saw last week, um, Abraham placed Sarah in some really difficult positions, didn't he? Um, when they went down in Egypt and he put her in a very precarious situation with Pharaoh, he did it again just a few chapters later in Genesis 19, um, with Abimelech. And scripture commends Sarah for her faith in this. It says in 1 Peter 3, uh, Peter tells us that Sarah entrusted herself to God, that she, she trusted him, not fearing what was frightening, which apparently being married to Abraham meant you were gonna encounter some frightening things. Um, so, what, but what does Hebrews say about her here? <clears throat> it says, when she was unable to have children, Sarah received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age. Because why? Here's a reason. Since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Okay, so now, wait. So this is funny, I think, and, and profound. Do you remember how Sarah responded when she found out she was pregnant? You remember this story in Genesis? When, when she was told that she would have a child, what did she do? She, she laughed. So that doesn't sound like faith, right? That we don't hear that and go, man, Sarah was full of faith. Uh, she didn't just fail to believe that God could do such a thing. She laughed about it. And then God said uh, through his messenger, why is Sarah laughing saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? So Genesis tells us that Sarah was afraid by this. And so she actually lied about it. Uh, that she, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. You were laughing. I, was, I didn't laugh. Uh, and God goes, no, you did laugh. Um, so what's such a strange encounter. And so the woman who laughed at the promise of God and then tried to lie about it, uh, she's here in our chapter of faith. Isn't that kind of reassuring? Uh, that an imperfect response, a follower of God that's in progress, embarrassed by her gut reaction to God's promise, and yet Hebrews commends her for her faith. So how, how do we know she really had faith? When did, when did laughter become trust in God? Um, we don't know for sure when, but I, th I think maybe right after she laughed. I, I, it seems as though maybe her lie even is more about her being embarrassed that she laughed. Um, but if she didn't believe immediately, then 
Certainly, there was, she had some things that would help her believe coming soon, right? Some, probably some morning sickness that helped. Um, probably a baby bump that helped her believe. It honestly doesn't matter when, because I, I want to fast forward to Isaac's birth in Genesis 21. What does Sarah say right after the baby's born? This is in, in Genesis uh, 21, at the beginning of the chapter. It says, the Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. So now, now listen, listen to what she says. If her laughter, I think if her laughter had been faithlessness originally, then it seems like there would have been a moment of, of repenting and of, of acknowledging that before the Lord. But that's not what happens. No, she, she rejoices in God. And guess what she does? She just keeps laughing. She keeps laughing. Verse six, Sarah said, God has made me laugh and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. Hebrew, Hebrews calls Abraham as good as dead. So Sarah gets a bad rap though for her laughing still, but 23 verses before uh, Sarah laughed, Abraham laughed. He did the same thing. Uh, verse 17 of Genesis 17, Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a hundred year old man? I mean, th this is funny. Uh, this is your grandparents, maybe for some of you, your great grandparents making a baby. Uh, it's hilarious. Uh, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's way crazier than the pets. I mean, if they told us, that'd be crazy, but this is even crazier. Uh, do you ever just laugh at what God has done? Like, God, God, your ways are so much higher, even so much stranger than mine, but always wiser, always better timing. What can we do but laugh at that? God, I never would have drawn it up this way if I tried. I probably would have never believed what you're doing. If you had told me you were gonna do it, I wouldn't have believed it. And yet you did it. This isn't lack of faith, um, I, I think this is lack of vision. Sometimes we trust God, but we have very little imagination. We're, we're just good old rationalists. God, I know you can do amazing things, but when I pray, I'm gonna ask for just the things I can think of. Um, but what is Paul, what is, he, what, is he, what is he capable of? Paul says uh, that God's capable of more than we can ask or imagine. So praise God that his power is not limited to just the things I can come up with. Not, not even to my gut reactions to his, his work. No, God's provision isn't dependent on the sure-headedness of my faith, but on the perfect reliability of God himself. Weak faith, strong faith, what is sure is the object of our faith. So God took the imperfect faith of Sarah and by his faithfulness, he grew her faith. He made her faith sure. And is that, is that not how it works with us? Faith is not imagining every possibility of what God might do um, and, then, and, and then trusting that ahead of time. God, I, I trust you in this outcome and in this outcome and that outcome and in that timetable. No, faith is trusting God, you are the provider. Your provision will come and I know that your timing will be better than mine. And this is where I think the, the prosperity gospel, this is the name it and claim it gospel. This is really where it really gets it wrong. That, 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 that says that faith is speaking unseen realities into existence. This sort of theology is often referred to as word of faith, right? Word of faith. Jesus, we claim that you're going to do fill in the blank. We're naming it, we're claiming it, but that's not faith. That's, that's, that's calling God's shot for him. 
No, faith is not belief in what I know God can do. It's faith in who God says he is and that he does what he pleases. Do we ask for specific things? Absolutely. I think we need to be specific when we bring our requests to God. Do, do we believe he's able? Yes. He loves to hear the prayers of his children. Our students, you guys spent the weekend, right? Talking about how to go to God in prayer and, and learning about prayer and practicing prayer. He tells his kids to ask in faith. And so we, we ask him, Lord, we ask you to heal. We, we beg for you to provide for specific needs. We believe you're able, but even more, we trust you. We know that you're good, that, you're be, that your ways are beyond searching out. And so we're just gonna wait and we're gonna see, we're gonna wait for the unseen ways that we know that you'll move. And so sometimes we don't even know what to ask, but our prayer is that God, we, we know that you know and, and we ask that you provide. It, it, it's way too easy to walk through life um, completely oblivious to the ways that God continues to show kindness and faithfulness and provision to you. It, and it's detrimental for us to do that, for us to forget those things. If you don't stop often and just laugh at how God has provided, I would encourage you, start. Like how has, has God provided something for you? Something only God could have done. Like laugh about that. Don't be like, well, that's just a neat thing that worked out. No, laugh at how ridiculous God's grace is to you. This is, this is humility. This is the response of humility. This response of thanksgiving that the God of the universe cares for you. He knows what you need, when you need it, and he's gonna provide it. That's laughable. We're undeserving, but God, you're so kind. It's almost silly how kind you are to us. Thank you. We praise you. And then number two, faith is in a promise. Verse 12 it says, therefore, from one man, in fact, from one good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. So we'll, we'll hit this point quickly, but this is important. The promise of God, his promise to Abraham, and even, even going back to his promise for an offspring for, to Adam and Eve in the garden, this promise carries on. The reward of Abraham and Sarah's faith that from a wrinkly old couple, that God would bring a multitude. This is who God is, right? He speaks into darkness and he creates light. He takes a kid's lunch and he feeds 5,000 people. When, when the wine runs dry, this is God who is able to take water and, and give some more. And then when Lazarus was in the tomb, right? He, 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 this is God. He can bring breath back into lungs. And when the family, of tree, the family tree of faith is dying out, seemingly at its end. He takes a 90-year-old barren womb and an old bag of bones in Abraham to make a nation that will rival the stars. Abram, whose name meant father, now God says you're Abraham, father of a multitude. This is what God did after, after the Exodus. Uh, we, we see this kind of, Moses is proclaiming this in Deuteronomy. He says to the nation of Israel, he says, your ancestors went down into Egypt, 70 people. So they had grown a little bit from Abraham. 70 people in all. And now the Lord, your God has made you numerous like the stars of the sky. They were as good as dead, Hebrews said. And now they can't be numbered. And not only that, but God promised he would bless the whole world through them. And guess what? It, it happened. It's still happening. From Abraham's line came what? Jesus. 
Then Galatians calls Jesus the true offspring of Abraham. And so, so now, now we, me and you, here in Tomball, we're joined to Christ along with Christians that have been worshiping already all morning long in Scotland and believers in Japan and in Haiti, from South Africa to South Dakota, all over the globe this morning. People are gathering to worship because they're joined to Christ and because they've been blessed through the family of Abraham. Paul says it like this in Galatians 3. He says uh, in verse 27, for those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. What a promise. People groups throughout the earth, blessed because of Jesus and blessed through Abraham. Man, I, 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 it just, it blows my mind to, to think what would have Abraham thought of all that has happened through his family? And it all started here, ground zero, Abraham and Sarah, and now Isaac by faith. What a miracle, the end. Or so it seems like it should be, right? But th- then that's what makes, I think, verse 17 so hard to understand. So this is our third point. Faith is impossible. Verse 17 of Hebrews 11 By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. This has to be one of the most difficult to understand progressions in the scriptures. Abraham had lived so long, so long, like with, with this trust in God that probably, I mean, certainly it had to have wavered from time to time, but God, I trust your promise. I trust you, but, but I'm getting old. I'm getting old and, and laughably, God waits until Abraham's an old, old man. And now he goes, okay, now you guys start a family. Abraham had cultivated his faith on years of years of patience, years of waiting on God's promises. This required giving up his own way, his own home, his own plans, his idea of what the land would be like. Instead, God said, follow me and I'm gonna show you where you're going and you're gonna have a son, but follow me. No details, no timetable. And now finally, just when it seemed like a baby was out of reach, it happens. And then God says, I want you to to let him die. I want you to kill him. I want you to offer him up. Kill the promise, destroy the promise of God. Verse 17, he received the promises and yet he was offering his own one and only son. The land had been a disappointment already. We saw that, that, that to be so close, but never really get to dwell there. Just to be foreigners, strangers, to greet it from a distance. And so now he says to Abraham, just like he did when he called him to go to Canaan, He says, go now again to a place that I'll show you. This time it's a mountain. And release the promise yet again. Lay it on the altar and put it to death. Take Isaac, the son that you love, the one about whom I said, through Isaac, I'm gonna trace my offspring. Now let him go. Abraham was trained in patience, but, but this, this is, Isaac was the answer. He's the real life, flesh and blood, fulfillment of God's promise. What a piercing request from God. I think it's safe to say that Abraham was prepared to give up anything. He showed it, that he would give up anything to follow the Lord. He had done it, but his son, his only son, his beloved son, 
the promised son. Isaac was a treasure to him. And I think whether you're a parent or not, I don't think I need to explain kind of the unimaginable grief that this would be. Sacrifice sounds like a noble thing. An offering, offering sounds noble, but this, this would have been to see him die. To participate in killing him. God might as well have asked Abraham to sacrifice himself. That would have been more tolerable, I think, to Abraham. Everything a father would do to instinctively care for his children is being asked to be violated here. Many compare this to the testing of Job who cried out, though you slay me, yet I will hope in you. And now Abraham, though you require my only son, I will follow. The commentator, William Lane, he says this, I think he gives this great picture of what Abraham is being asked to do here. He says, when Abraham obeyed God's mandate to leave Ur, he simply gave up his past. But when he was summoned to Mount Moriah to deliver his own son to God, he was asked to surrender his future as well. There, there's so much happening here and we'll, and we'll talk about a lot of this, but I guess I think this begs the question for us. Are we prepared? Like, are we prepared to give up the things that are most precious to us? The things that make us most happy and whole in order that we might follow Jesus? Is God to be trusted enough to ask anything of us? Certainly, we, we don't believe that God's gonna ask us to do what Abraham was being asked to do here. But what could God ask from us? What could he take from us? What horrific thing uh, could he remove from us that might cause you to question uh, his goodness? These are, these are difficult questions. Abraham was being asked to do what was seemingly impossible. I think this has to be one of the most severe examples of faith in the Bible. So, so severe, in fact, we, we almost have trouble squaring with the fact that God would even ask this of Abraham. Not only is it, does it seem emotionally impossible, it, it, it just seems directly to attack what God had already told him. But Abraham's response is unbelievable. It's unflappable. We don't hear a minute. We get no recorded <clears throat> uh, conversation between God and Abraham of, man, God, here's my objection. He's not asking the philosophical question. The, oh, is God still really good if he does uh, blank? And we have no reason to think that Abraham is play acting here. This is real. But no, he's resolved. Though horrified, he, he went confidently. He woke up early, it said. And he woke up Isaac. They gathered their materials and they, they walked up the mountain on their way to something awful. So how, how can he do this? Where does his confidence come from? Look, look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, he considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. What a weird, crazy thing to say. Surely, surely this is the writer of Hebrews embellishing a little bit, right? Like reading back into the story, like reading the results. I know what happened, so I'm gonna, surely, surely that's what's happening. No, no I, I, don't, I don't think so. Abraham believed something about God. Like Enoch, we talked about Enoch. He, Abraham believed rightly about God. And he knows, he knows about God, that God's the rewarder of those who seek him. Seek him. And, and Abraham has indeed sought God. So let's look, let's look back at the story itself in Genesis 22. Um, 
starting in verse three, you can read along, it's on the screen. Um, let's, let's read about this encounter. So Abraham got up early in the morning, he saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we will come back to you. We will come back. There it is, right there in Genesis. Abraham had fully settled in his mind what was true. Fully settled. God is to be trusted. He had said it before that will not the judge of the earth do what is right. And he'd also settled that God will not forsake his promise. And so what's his response? he, He just obeys. He just obeys. He doesn't worry about the contradiction. He doesn't worry about what's, uh, what the result is. He obeys. And I think these two things, that God had given Abraham a promise that he'd make him a nation and that he'd also given him a command to sacrifice his son. These two things for Abraham, these seem like competing realities, but for Abraham, they weren't. Abraham's conclusion is, okay, I've done the math. God must be able to bring back the dead. That's, it's simple. This is your promise, God. This is your command. So if there's a conflict with those things, then that's on you, God. What what am I gonna do? I'm gonna obey. I'm gonna obey. The result is in the Lord's hand. Romans 11 says that the Lord's ways are inscrutable, beyond searching out. Faith agrees with that and says, Lord, I, I can't trace what you're doing, but I'll still obey because you are good and because you're worthy of my obedience, you're worthy of me following you. But he better be sure, right? Like this is a pretty, thing, pretty big thing to like hang an, a, a belief on. There's no going back on this one. And what does verse 19 go on to tell us? Therefore, he received him back. He received him back. By faith, Isaac was spared. God called Abraham to stop Abraham's, I mean, he's following through with this. God says, stop. And then there is, Abraham looks up and there's the ram. There's a ram in the thicket, right on time. It felt like a resurrection. We got him back. Abraham feared he would lose him, but he got him back. So this leads us to our last point, number four. Faith tells the best story. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he would often explain uh, profound truth through story, uh, through word pictures, through parables. Sometimes uh, this was to confuse people who were unbelieving, whose hearts were set against Jesus. And other times, this was to help his disciples understand more about who he is. And so I want you to look at the end of Hebrews 11, uh, verse 19, and see what the writer of Hebrews says here. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Okay, so now this is, figuratively speaking, I think is a, is a strange word, a strange translation choice. Because we use the word figuratively speaking, like we say that a lot, right? We say like literally or figuratively or whatever. And, but we mean something very particular about that. But the word, the real word is really the same word that is translated as parable. This word literally means as a parable. In fact, some of your translations may say this was, this was as a type, as a picture. 
And so when the Lord explicitly tells us that he's painting a picture, then we, we should just step into the art gallery and admire it. Stare in amazement. So, so there's two things happening. Yes, God was doing something amazing in Abraham. He was growing his faith. Abraham received back his son, Isaac. It was though Isaac had died and come back to life. This was absolutely a story of Abraham's faith. But even more, the Lord is painting a picture, telling a story for us. And we can sometimes get in trouble for, for taking parts, particularly of the Old Testament, um, and allegorizing part of it, right? So, uh, and we've seen this throughout church history. People will take story, Old Testament stories like, uh, you know, like David and Goliath. Um, and hey, you know, David, he had the five stones. He reached down and he got them out of the stream. And the five stones were the five books of the law. Uh, that's a stretch, right? I mean, certainly the Bible is all about God's glory. Um, it's all pointing us to Jesus. Uh, but I mean, things like that, right? That's, that's a reach. It's a cool idea. Uh, but the Bible doesn't say that. But here, the writer of Hebrews is just coming out and saying it. He's saying, hey, don't be afraid. This is kind of like the, the story of Hosea and Gomer. This is a story with a not very well hidden Easter egg packed right in. So what did, what did God tell Abraham? He said in Genesis 22, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you. So this is, this is a parable, a picture, a type of our substitute, the only son of the father. This is the gospel. So in Romans, what does Paul say? He picks up on the same language, Romans 8. He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with, with him grant us everything? The father, Abraham, offering his own son, like, like Isaac, his only beloved son. Like Isaac, Jesus is the heir of all the promises of God. Imagine the love that exists between uh, the father, the heavenly father and his son, their perfect union and intimacy. And like Abraham, God sent his son, his only son, his beloved son, and Isaac played the role of the obedient son. Though not sinless like Jesus, he obeyed his father. He was bound without a fight. He willingly laid down his life. What, what agony would have awaited him? What, what heartache would he, would he have felt as he laid down on the altar? Likewise, Jesus said, I lay down my life willingly. No man takes it from me. In each case, we see, this is, this is what we've seen throughout Genesis, the seed of the serpent seeking to strike out God's promise. Through Isaac, all the peoples, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And what, what an amazing promise. All the peoples blessed through Isaac. But guess what? Jesus is that blessing. He's the fulfillment. He's the promise. Through Jesus, he paid for, not only for our sins, Paul says, but for the sins of the world. He died so that peoples, people groups might be blessed. People from every tribe, nation, language, saved by the blood of the lamb. And so then as they walked up that hill, as Abraham and Isaac walked up the hill, Abraham orchestrated each step, right? By faith, he gathered wood, he gathered stone, leading his son up on this journey but the heavenly father did the same. He orchestrated the culmination of history. Roman rulers, corrupt Jewish rulers, he used them and he led his son up that dreadful hill to Calvary. 
where he also might be offered up on. Isaac, what did he carry? He carried the wood. And what did Jesus carry? He carried it. Isaac's God and Savior would carry wood just like he did. Abraham, by faith, was willing to sacrifice his son just as scripture says our father through the hands of sinful men. He sent Jesus to die. It was his plan. It was his hand, his will, Isaiah says. Romans 3 says, God put him forth as a propitiation for our sins. What a, what a crazy story. What an amazing parable. And yet, Abraham's story is just a shadow. It's just a little bit of a taste of the true story. Because see, our savior, the beloved son of God, he was not spared. Isaac doesn't taste the knife. He doesn't, he doesn't know the, the pain of, of death in that moment. But Jesus, the perfect son, his side was pierced. He did feel the sting of death. You see, this is where the picture doesn't really do justice to the reality. Isaac, though obedient, he was still a sinful young man, though, though he deserved death, right? That's, that's what sin, our sin deserves. But he was spared. The ram became his substitute. But Jesus, Jesus, you see, he was the, both the beloved son and the ram. He was the son obedient to death and also the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is both the sinless son of the father and the substitute. Abraham's family, they knew the pain of death. They had watched it. They had watched it unfold throughout the line. We, we, we read in Genesis that he died and then he died and then he died. Death was part of their life now, right? They knew death. Sin had destroyed everything. And though the, the, the promise remained, death is still inescapable. Next week, in fact, we're gonna see Isaac's gonna die. Right? He didn't escape death forever. Death will come for each of us. Because of our sin, we will die. And the punishment for our sin is eternal death. The knife of the Father's judgment rightfully does come down upon us. Oh, but because of the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, by faith, we get to come off the woodpile his wrath no longer coming toward us. Like, like Isaac, if we trust Jesus, if we call on him to save us, then he is for us the perfect lamb of God. Our substitute, our savior, the one who died willingly in our place for our sin. But he didn't stay dead. He wasn't, just, he wasn't like Isaac. Isaac was, he was kind of like one who was resurrected. No, our, our savior, he came back from the dead. He did it. And by faith, we trust now one day that when we face death, that our eyes will open on the other side, that we will see eternity. We will see our, our risen savior in the new heaven and the new earth. And perhaps there is no greater picture. I, I think in maybe all the Old Testament, we see no greater picture than what, what has been painted for us here by the Father. This scene here at Mount Moriah. When all is finished in the story, Abraham refers to this place as as the Lord will provide, or Yahweh will provide. Yahweh Jireh, you may have heard that term. The Lord provides. Some Christians will use the term Jehovah Jireh, but it really is Yahweh, Yahweh Jireh. And, we, and we'll, we'll use that term, Jireh, when we, when we speak of God providing something. Some, sometimes, maybe, maybe you don't, but, but you've probably heard that. Maybe you've heard it. Um, and it's okay to use that term. Uh, but in our deepest need, 
when we deserve to be laid upon a cross, when death is what we earn, God was Jireh. He provided for us. While we were still sinners, Christ, the Lamb of God, he emerged from the thicket right when we needed him. And he died in our place for our sin that we might live. Let me pray for us. Father, this truth is, is so great that we might just let it slip off. We've heard the gospel. We know the truth of what you've done for us. And yet uh, it can be really easy just to let it go. It can be really easy to, to not let the weight of the truth of what you have done for us, that we deserve death, but you sent your son to die in our place. Father, that is, help us never to take that lightly. And may it always bring joy to us. And Father, I, I would ask you today, Father, would you, would you help us? Maybe those in the room who haven't believed, who don't trust that, you are, uh, that you've given Jesus for them as a substitute. God, would you help them today to believe, to know that their sins can be forgiven? And would you, would you help all of us to be those who walk by faith in your unseen goodness? And that we would trust, we would ask you for what we would need and we would follow you to the ends of the earth. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.